0: Aren't you glad we can rejoice and praise His name? Amen. Amen. There's so much much gloom and doom and, oh my goodness, I'm tired of watching TV, listening to the radio and hearing all the pessimists. I know the world may not be good, but our God reigns. Amen? Twelve of you are convinced of that. Our God reigns. Amen. And He is faithful. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. I'm glad we can be here with Him today. We're continuing on in our series, Overcoming Fear, and we're going to talk about overcoming the fear of failure. How many of you have ever failed? Let me see your hands. We all have, haven't we? And failure scares us, doesn't it? In fact, I'm convinced that a whole bunch of us have some things in our hearts and lives that we would love to do, but we're scared to do it because we're afraid that we're going to fail. We have that what-if syndrome, you know, that what if I don't succeed and what if I fall on my face and what if I embarrass myself and what if I let others down and some of us are going to what if ourselves right into the grave, aren't we? Why are we so afraid of failing? I think the answer is because we have a messed up view of what it means to be successful. What does it mean to succeed? Our world has that thing all turned around and a lot of us have it all goofed up. You know when you think about it by the way, you youths over there, I told you I was going to buy a pizza and soda if you fill a section up. Well, get with it, right? I can only save my money so long, all right? So when you get that filled up, we'll have pizza and pop together. Anyway, um, I don't even know what I was talking about. Um, success is a relative term. What I mean by that is my success could be your failure and your success could be my failure. Let me give you an example. For some people, now that we're into the new year, they would consider it successful if they got to the gym three days out of the week. But for some of the rest of us, just thinking about getting the gym is a success, right? <laughs> some of you parents would consider your child a success if they got all straight A's. Some of you parents will consider your child a success if they just graduate. Some of the students here will f- see it as a success if they get into a certain type of college. Some students will call it a success if they get to college. Some of us would consider ourselves a success if we live in a certain house, in a certain subdivision, and drive a certain car with a certain salary and portfolio so success is very relative. And what makes it so complex is not only do we put pressure on ourselves to succeed, but have you ever noticed that a lot of other people put pressure on you to succeed? If you are age 20 or under, have you ever felt pressure for your parents to succeed? Let me see your hands. Absolutely. They have big dreams for you, never mind your own. Right? And if it's not our parents, it's our spouse. If it's not our spouse, it's our peers. If it's not the peers, it's our teacher. Sometimes even our pastor, our culture, puts an enormous amount of pressure on us to succeed. And because we have such a skewed view of what it means to be successful, it strikes fear in our hearts that we'll never measure up. We won't be accepted. We wish we were turtles and could live in our shell and be left alone. Sometimes that would be nice, wouldn't it? So what I want to do is I want to emancipate you by God's grace and God's power and God's word from this fear of failure by getting a right definition of what it really means to succeed. So grab your notes and grab a pen and write down our first principle. and It's simply this. In God's view, and that's the bottom line right now, not my parents, not my spouse, not my friends, not my pastors, not my teachers, in God's view... Success is relational, not circumstantial. Success is relational, it is not circumstantial. I want you to close your eyes for a minute with me and I want you to imagine this scene, all right? I want you to imagine experiencing the ultimate circumstances that would make you feel successful the ultimate looks, the ultimate weight, the ultimate relationship, the ultimate car, the ultimate home, the ultimate career. If you got it, if you got that. I know you've dreamt about it before. You got it in mind. Now let me ask you a question. Think it all the way through. Do you honestly believe that if you had all the right circumstances that you would be happy forever? If you're chasing the dream that if I just if I just attain a certain level, if I have just the right circumstances, I'll be happy forever, you are chasing an illusion. You're on a treadmill going nowhere. Because, see, here's the way it works in the world. We run and we run to achieve and get and have more. And finally we achieve and we have it like this in our hands. And then we spend the rest of our lives worrying that we might lose some of it. In fact, when I think about that, I think about what's going on in the financial crisis in our nation right now. And how many people achieved and accumulated and now at the end of the year we've received our, our, our financial statement and we've lost 20, 30, 40, 50 or more percent. And all of a sudden we went from feeling like a financial success and secure to feeling like a real what? Failure. We had all our plans laid out so well. And I'm telling you it brings a whole new meaning to the gospel when Jesus says don't lay up treasures for yourself here on earth where moth and rust and government destroys right but lay it up in heaven we're all living it aren't we I mean we are living in it it's not like some other nation and we're going ah, poor then we are experiencing it today and God's word had already dealt with it a long time ago so it's not about circumstances you can have the you can have the greatest circumstances and lose it all overnight It's about relationship. Let me show you what I mean. Turn over to the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. Just flip over there before we put anything on the screen. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Excuse me. Now let's look it up on the screen. It says, let's say it out loud together. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous. What was that last word? And successful. Now in that verse, I do not see any mention of Wall Street. I don't see any mention of the weather. I don't see any mention of any other kind of circumstance. All I hear in that verse is relationship. A relationship to God and a relationship to his word. All I hear is obey me. By keeping my word and living your life out of my word and you'll be prosperous and successful. But just a minute, that does not mean prosperous and successful as the world may define it. What God is saying is if you love me and love my word and we know, we prove we love God's word when we live it out in our daily lives, then God says in my eyes, you are successful. And you are prospering. So we got to live a different way. I'm I'm calling you, I'm calling you to live counterculture. So if you're a radical, if you like radical things, you don't like going with the flow, then you ought to become a follower of Christ because you will definitely go against the flow. I'm saying let's stop living for the world's definition of success. Let's start living for God's definition of success. It's all about relationship. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. Listen to what the prophet says to us as God speaks to him about the whole issue of success. Always bring your Bibles, by the way, so you can write these references down, look them up later if I'm going too fast, or uh, to have a chance to focus on it. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 says, this is what the Lord says, let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast their strength, or the rich boast their riches. There was a lot of that going on for this last year. Now the boasters are whiners. Verse 24, but let those who boast boast about this, that they understand and know me. That's relationship, isn't it? That I am the Lord. Wow, I love that. L-O-R-D, capital letters. That I am in charge, not Washington, not not Wall Street, who exercises kindness, justice, righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. You know, someday God's going to establish His millennial rule on earth, I believe. And you and I will experience what it means to to live in his kindness and live in his justice and live in his righteousness. But It's all about relationship. You say, okay, Dale, I get it. Success is not about circumstances, it's about relationship. But I'm afraid of having a relationship with God. God scares me. What if I mess up? Won't God set me on the T and take out his driver and send me a long ways away? Listen, if you think that your relationship to God having a successful relationship to God depends on your ability to achieve and maintain a good enough life, then we are all what? We are all failures. We are all failures. Because none of us can live at that level consistently that would please God. His standard is what? Perfection. Ours is not. Jesus Christ and Christ alone is the only one capable of Of making it possible for you to have a successful relationship with God. Because Jesus went on the cross to die for your sins. And if you'll confess your sins to him and receive him into your life as your savior. Then you're set. God looks at you like you're perfect. How can he do that when you're not? Because he looks at you through his son who is perfect. And all of a sudden you have huge freedom. Huge freedom to indulge his love. To indulge his truth. To indulge his grace. Does that mean I don't sin anymore? No. We still continue like a child who would disobey their parents, yes. But immediately we just say, God, you know, I've been like a disobedient child. Forgive me. God doesn't stop loving us in that time. God cares deeply for us. So let me ask you, how is your relationship with Jesus today? How's your relationship to his word today? Are you living it out of your life? God says you do that, you're successful. Number two, write this down. True success is all about character and not achievement. Now in a few minutes, uh, we're we're going to kind of intervene in the message with a song. And last service when I did that, when the song was over, people started like walking out because they thought the service was over. It is not. Okay? There's a third point. So to avoid that, I thought I'd kill the moment by telling you, all right? Don't ever leave till I say you're dismissed. All right, back back to the message, right? Secondly, true success. Somebody's like, I can go to the bathroom right now. Somebody sees me leave, he's gonna say, that true success is all about character, not achievement. True success is all about character, not achievement. Our culture focuses almost totally on achievement doesn't talk about character. But character is vital. Character matters more to God than all the things you will ever achieve. In God's mind, it does not matter if you're a stay-at-home parent, if you're a student, if you're single, if you're married, if you're blue-collar, white-collar, got ring around the collar. It doesn't matter to God. What matters to God is not how high up the ladder you climb. What matters to God is your character, your integrity. Your godliness, that's what matters to him. And you and I live in a day where that is so absent. Where that is so absent. We have people who climb the ladder politically and in business, economically, and entertainment. They get famous. They have money. They got homes. They got it all. They've got power. And we tend to look at them and go, wow, are they successful? But if they do it without integrity, if they do it without living a life that is pleasing to God... God looks at them, and God doesn't care about their achievements. God sees them as absolute failures. Now, whose eyes is it more important for you to be considered a success in? The eyes of the world or God's? I think God's. Because he's the one ultimately who created you, and the one who you're ultimately going to have to stand and give an answer to, right? I mean, that's the bottom line, isn't it? And so we see what's going on. Like, I mean, in Illinois, right? We got a little, few little political problems, right? Something related to corruption. We look at Washington today, and I don't want to smear all politicians. We have, we have those who are men and women of integrity. But I'm telling you what, folks, we live in a, in a character deficit right now amongst our leaders. And I think about our, our, young, our young men and women here. W- you know, why is it that we saw a couple weeks ago that, That lying, cheating, and stealing is on the rise with young people, even, quote, Christian young people. Do you know why? They have have no model to go by. They just look at the culture and they go, well, everybody else is doing it. Why would I want to be different? Somebody's got to step up the plate and say, we will be different. We will focus on character that matters way more to God than achievement. And right now, God is working in some of your lives right now to form Character, because that matters to him more. Let me show you what I mean. Turn over to first Peter toward the end of your Bible, chapter one. First Peter chapter one. Powerful, powerful verse, and I, I want you to have it in front of you to think about later on. First Peter chapter one, verse six. And here's what here's what Peter says. He's talking to a group of Christians who are going through some struggles. He says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Let's stop there, leave the verse up. How many of you are going through some trials right now? Let me see your hands. Right? Many of us, many of us are, right? Sometimes we go through a trial for a little while, don't we? For some of us, it feels like a really long while, doesn't it? And he says, he says, we go through Different kinds of trials. In Greek there means different temperatures or colors. So sometimes I'll go through a trial and it's a nuisance. Sometimes I'll go through a trial and it's a pain. Other times I'll go through a trial and it's a crisis, right? They come in all sizes, uh, sorts and shapes, right? And volume. Look what Peter says. He says, these have come so that your faith, and I want you to think of the word character because faith and character go together. Of greater worth than gold, to who? To God, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine, so that your faith or your character may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So Peter's saying, look, you're going through some trials here. Hang in there. I know it's varied for each of you. I know some is worse than others. But listen, God is refining you. God is, is wanting to bring his character out of you. God wants you to live a life that honors him. That is successful. Now, here's the picture. Watch this. Peter's referring to a goldsmith. And a goldsmith would take gold and he or she would put it in a smelting furnace. And then they would stoke the heat up under that furnace and make it hotter and hotter and hotter until the gold liquefies. And then they'd turn the temperature up even further so that the impurities of, in the gold, the other metals in the gold, would rise to the top. And then they would scrape off the impurities and heat it up and scrape off the impurities and heat it up and scrape off the impurities and heat it up and scrape off the impurities until finally the gold was refined, until finally it was pure. Now here's the question. When does the goldsmith know that the gold is finally pure? And the answer is when he or she can see his or her reflection in the liquid. You understand that? You understand what Peter's saying? God sends trials into our lives to bring out the impurities in our lives, to surface the, the criticism, to surface the need for control, to surface the, the complaining heart, to surface the jealousy, to surface the anger, to surface the pride, so that through confession it can be scraped off until finally God looks in our life and he sees a reflection of his Son. And and here's how it works a lot of times in our life. God allows us to go through some trial. Now, some of us are in trials, and it's our own fault because of sin in our life. But even God can use that. God allows us to go into some trial, physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever it is, to reveal the things in us that need to be scraped out. And then we come to terms with it. We confess it. We get right. We get humble before God, and he, he sends us on our way. And And then we pick up some impurity and then God lets us hit another trial. And and then, boom, that stuff comes up and he scrapes it off and he moves us on. Until finally one day we end up in heaven. We stand before God and we are totally purified. There is no more impurities in our life and we cannot pick up impurities because God is going to basically sterilize the universe of sin. And sometimes, you know, God allows a trial to come into our life and it just continues like a low-grade fever in our lives. And we wonder, God... Why don't you take it away? And I think sometimes God leaves a trial permanently in our life to keep us from sin. Or to keep us from a certain sin. Look at Paul. Paul says, God, remove this trial from my life three times. And God says, I won't because it's needful to keep you from pride. See, what is success to God is when his son can be seen in our hearts and our lives. And God uses trials sometimes to refine us. Years ago, there was a song written about, about the refiner's fire and wanting to be pure as gold. And when I was going through this message this week, God just really spoke to my heart. And I felt like God saying, Dale, are you willing to allow me to refine you? Are you willing to allow me to work in your life so that only I can be seen? Are you willing to step out of the way? And I thought, yeah, God, I really only want you to be seen. And as John sings this song for us, I want you to think about your life. Maybe you're in the crucible right now. What's God trying to reveal? What is it he wants you to hand over to him so he can bring his purity into your heart?
1: True. Just
0: trouble are you facing in your life right now? What trial are you going through? And what's the response that's bringing out in you? Chances are it's that response that God's trying to get you to give up. It's that negative spirit. It's that negative attitude. It's that sinful attitude. Whatever it is that God is just allowing that heat to bring out. And the sooner you give it up, he can, make, he can form the character of his son in your life. And you can move on. Well, there's one more thing I want you to write down. And that is that success... ...is about management and not ownership. Success is about management and not ownership. Over in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, Jesus tells one of his great parables there. And in this particular parable, he's talking about a landowner who goes away... ...and he leaves some wealth to his three servants. And to one of them, he gives five talents. And to another, he gives two. And to another, he gives one according to their ability... And then he walks away. It's found in Matthew chapter 25, starting at verse 14. He walks away with an expectation that they're going to do something with it. When he comes back some time later, he holds them to accountability he Has a meeting. And the person with five has multiplied it to ten. And the owner is just elated. He says, you've been faithful with little. I'll, I'll give you more to be responsible with. Two multiplies to four. He says the same thing to him. Then he comes to the person with one. And the guy with one has put it in the dirt and sat on it. Didn't even put it in the bank. And the owner looks at him and says, You knew, I mean, you know who I am. You know what I expect. Why did you waste the time and the talents that I gave you? Takes it away from him and redistributes it to the other two and then sends the other one off into punishment. Now, that parable was told to remind all of us that none of us were followers of Christ, none of us are owners. We are all stewards or managers. Everything we have. Our breath, our finances, our talents, gifts, everything we have ultimately belongs to who? The master, to God. And God wants us to take our talents. That means our dreams, our skills, our gifts, our resources. And he wants us to use it for his purposes, make it available to him for his glory. Now, if success is about a relationship with God and his word, if success is about having the character Christ developed in me, then I don't have any fear about going out there and risking it as the world would call risk. I'm going to go out there with my resources, my gifts, my talents, and pursue the passions and dreams that God has put in my heart. Because, you see, I'm not trying to measure up to what the world will call success. I'm just seeking to please God. So if it's a missionary who goes to the middle of some foreign country and is faithful there, with his gifts and talents and resources, and only sees one convert after 30 years of ministry, that is not a failure. In God's eyes, that's a success. If it's you taking your money and tithing it to the church to be used for the kingdom's purposes, and you don't retire with as much as you thought you could have retired with, if you hadn't tithed, in God's mind, that is a success. Because you lived and used it for him. The world may laugh at you and say, but think of what else you could have done with it. So if you have skill sets and gifts and abilities and you share those in some ministry when you could actually be spending more time in your own profession climbing the ladder quicker and higher but you choose to do it in some way that makes a difference to the kingdom of God in God's eyes that's a success though the world may say it's a failure. Making ourselves available using the gifts and skills and talents that God has given us risking it so to speak in the world. ...pleases and honors and glorifies God. You know, one of the graphic pictures of this is found in the Old Testament. You know, the first two kings of Israel were Saul, and who was the second one? Oh, okay, David, all right? Saul and David. And here's an interesting passage. You know, we got the inauguration coming up real soon. Over in 1 Samuel chapter 10, we read how, how Saul is about to be coronated as the first king of Israel... Remember, Israel said, we want a king. And God said, no, stick with me. And they said, no, 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 we want a king. And I said, God, God said, I'll give you what you want. So it's a big day, and Samuel's out, and he's ready to introduce the king. He goes through all the tribes of Israel. It gets really exciting. It's a tense moment. Who's the king going to be? He already knew. He'd already talked to the king. It was solid. the Oil had been poured over. It was a done deal, right? Election had been had and held. Now it's time to reveal the king and all sudden, Samuel goes, and now, I'm paraphrasing, and now, here is your king, King Saul. Ta-da! All you can hear are the crickets. And now, here is the king of Israel, Saul. Ta-da! And all you hear there are the crickets. Nobody can find Saul. Where is Saul? Where is the king of Israel? Where is this leader, this courageous man? And finally, it's so bad, they even have to ask God. And it says, a little ways down, at about uh, verse 22... And the Lord said, he has hidden himself among the bags. He's in the luggage. So they go out and they find him. And they bring him out. And finally the guy's standing there and everybody applauds. But I love the way the chapter ends. Because it says at the very end, but some scoundrels, verse 27, said, how can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts. But Saul kept silent. And I think to myself, I'm not sure they were really scoundrels. I mean, do you want a guy for your king who's hiding in the bags? Who doesn't want to come out on his inauguration? It won't be a very good thing if Obama can't be found on Inauguration Day. Right? I mean, you gotta, you're, you're the leader, so step up to it. And you know, I look at Saul's life and it was such a failure. Ask yourself why Saul's life was a failure. Study it and you'll find out, one, he didn't have much of a relationship with God. Two, he didn't trust God or, or live out God's word. And three, it was all about him. He used his power for himself. In comes young David, this kid who's been watching sheep. He shows up when Israel and Saul are being pinned down by this giant named Goliath, nine feet tall, 555 pounds, big guy. Taunts them morning and evening for 40 days. Nobody has the guts to go out there fighting because they're all afraid of what? Failure. Why was Saul hiding in the bags? Fear of failure. Little David shows up and he says, I'll go out there. And David goes out there without his armor with his little sling and a stone and he brings that giant down and he cuts his head off. What made David so successful? He was a really good aim with a slingshot? No. What made him successful was, if you look at the life of David, he had a strong relationship with God. He calls him the living God. He was into God's word and God's word was into him and he was at the disposal for God's use. Take my gifts, take my talents, use me. I know he messed up. We all mess up too. But at that moment, David's life was where it needed to be and that's why he was successful. Ever heard of Joseph in the Old Testament? Remember Joseph? He rises to be second in command of Egypt under Pharaoh. What made Joseph so successful? It was his relationship with God. He, and it was the character of God forced in the furnace of suffering there in Egypt. And he was at the disposal for God's use. What made Daniel so successful? Because he was such a smart guy? No. What made Daniel so successful in the Bible was his relationship to God. The fact that his character was forged in the furnace of suffering there in Babylon. And the fact that he made himself of use for God any way God wanted to use him. Or how about the New Testament? You ever thought about Mary? What made Mary so successful? Why? Why did Mary give birth to the Messiah, the Son of God, in that, in that holy conception? How did that happen? Because Mary had a relationship with God, she was his maidservant. And because she allowed her womb to be used by God to deliver the Messiah, because her character was forged in the misunderstandings that people had about her, including her own husband's misunderstandings. Look at every great man, woman, who's been successful in the eyes of God, and they have been men and women and young people who have based their success not on what the world thinks, but on what God thinks. They have been men, women, and young people who've had a strong relationship with God. They've lived out God's word in their lives, and they've made themselves available for God to use. Their gifts, their talents, their abilities. You and I don't need to fear failure, folks. Do you know why? Because we're already a success. And guess who made you a success? His name is Jesus Christ. Amen? So when you walk out of this place this morning into the gloom of this world and all the complaining and the economy and blah, 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 blah that you hear on the news and the radios, raise your heads up. You're not living for the world's approval. You're not living to make a political party dominant. You know what you're living for? You're living for Jesus Christ. You're not living by your own strength, your own power, for your own glory, for your own success you're living for the success that God has already given you. You ought to claim it and live it out in your lives. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand. Be encouraged, brothers and sisters in Christ. Our God is alive. And next week we slay the giant called death. Amen? Amen? All right. You are more than victors through Christ Jesus. Well, God bless those of you who climbed the bridge. And I'll see our guests at Guest and Have a great weekend.